Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. Today, my title of the message, the message I want to talk about is the Lord's will. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to give out, as I always do, I give you a lot of scripture. Okay, I don't intend for you to turn in your Bible to every scripture that I call out. In fact, some of them I'm going to just call out. I'm going to go through them pretty fast. Okay, so they're not intended for you to just go and go and go and go and go. The ones that are on the screen, those are the ones we're going to look at. Okay, so with that in mind, I want to talk about the Lord's will. Let me set my timer because that's important. All right. Okay. So the Lord's will. So today in our society, we're taught to do what we feel and to what, and, and what we think, right? That's, that's how we're taught. We're taught to do what we feel and what we think. It's all about being true to ourselves in today's society. I'm number one, right? Number one is what matters. So we got to take care of number one. That's what we're taught. And in the end, nothing else matters. That's what matters is number one. Right. So we live in a self-centered society. And I think if we're honest, we all can agree with that. We can all say, yep, it's about me. It's about me. It's about me. Okay. So that way of thinking has manifested itself to the point where evidence, where facts, where obvious reality doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's about me. Right. That's what matters is it's about me. So let me give you an example of that, and you'll, you'll kind of see what I'm going, where I'm going with this. So the, recently, the NCAA had a swimming competition. It was a women's swimming competition, and a transgender was allowed to swim in it. This was a biological male who then was transforming or, or, or transferring to womanhood, right? How, however you want to describe that. And so he competes in that competition, Mind you, he's ranked 462 in the male, in the, in the male race, right? That, that's where he ranks, 462. He goes into this race and he demolishes them. He wins first, right? Now, it's obvious to all of us in here and just about to anyone else, it's obvious that that isn't right. There's something wrong with that, right? That shouldn't happen. But reality doesn't matter anymore, Right? What you know, the biological truth that you know, it doesn't matter anymore. So that type of mindset is out there. And that's what the world is teaching, right? They te they're starting to teach that in some places in America, in the, in the schools. They're starting to teach that. So the problem becomes even worse when we take this way of thinking and we include God in it. The problem becomes worse. You ever notice how when you talk to somebody who's completely off, right? They're not following God. They're not doing what God says, anything like that. When you talk to them, they always say things like, well, I believe God would love me the way I am. I believe if God was loving, he would be okay with this. If God was loving, he'd be this and he'd be that, right? And it's all justifying what they're doing or who they are or their state of being. You ever notice that it, it always is that way where God ends up wanting what they want or giving them what they want? There's a reason for that. Because they circumvent God is what's really happening. They're going around God. 
They're not actually going to God to ask these questions. And in reality, this has been, the, this has been that way from the very beginning. This isn't something new. If we go all the way back to Genesis, we can see it. We can see God's will, and we can see Adam's will, right? Because Adam chose to eat of the fruit. It was his choice. Me, right? This is what I'm going to do. Now, he tried to blame, and then she tried to blame, but it was him. It was his choice. It was his will. As Christians, we shouldn't be so focused on our own will, but rather God's will. That's what we should be focused on, right? It should not be about number one. Okay, it shouldn't just be me, 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 me. Okay, so I have a question for you. I want to get some answers, and and you're not going to be on the mic or anything else, but I want to know what you think about this. What do you think you were created for? Somebody just give me some answers here. What's that? Worship? Okay. What else? There's no wrong answer. Well, there may be some wrong answers, but I don't think there's going to be any wrong answers here. Created for love? Okay. Serve? Life? Eternity? Okay. Anything else? Communion with God? Okay. All right. This is good. A lot of that's good. Okay. So the Bible does give us clues as to why we were created, right? Everybody's in search for meaning. Everybody's in search for purpose. Remember that. Scientists are always looking for a purpose. Even worldly scientists are always looking for a purpose. They ask that question, what are we here for? So that brings me to my first point, God's glory. Let's turn to Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Okay, so this chapter is written to Israel, but you got to remember this. This is one important thing you have to remember about the Bible. You're going to find a lot of instances, in every instance, where, where the Bible's written to them, but what do we always say? For us. To them, for us. And in specific events, it's going to be specifically to them. But in this case, it says, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. That's your clue right there. Whom I created for my glory. Okay. You were created for God's glory. Now we're talking about a macro perspective. Okay. We're not talking about an individual perspective. We're talking about generally speaking, what are we created for? We are created for God's glory. Now this is an underlying theme throughout the Bible. And contrary to, con- to, to popular opinion, you know, it's, it's all about me, about me, about me. You even find that in the churches. You see it on the screen. We're created for his glory. It's throughout the Bible. So I'm going to give you some scriptures here. You do not have to flip through them. This is the part where I'm just going to read some to you to kind of give you a glimpse of what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Ephesians 1.12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Romans 11.36, from him and through him, And to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. 
We can see his glory in a lot of aspects. I'll give you another one. Healings. We can see his glory in healings. In John eleven four, 4, it says this, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. He was referring to Lazarus, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. You noticing a theme here? For miracles, for judgment, even judgment. Ezekiel 39, 21. I will display my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see my punishment. I inflict the hand I lay on them. You see it? Glory, 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 glory. My glory, my glory, my glory. Okay? Underlying theme throughout the Bible. Let's turn to Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 23. Now, I'm going to get to why this matters. Okay? On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not what? He did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I think God takes his glory pretty seriously. He didn't give God glory. Let's turn to Acts chapter 14. Do you have that, Bunny Jens? It says this. Now at Lystria, Lystra, Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well. Said in a loud voice, stand, up, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what, Peter, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in, in Lyconia, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when, Paul, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all that is in them. You notice a stark contra contrast between what Herod did and Paul did, right? Paul's like, ah, don't lift me up. Why, why did Paul do that? Paul knew it was serious, Right? It says in scripture, it says, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says that Paul was given a messenger of Satan to keep him humble. To keep him from exalting himself because of the miracles that he was doing. Right? So God takes his glory and it's important to him. Right? He takes it seriously. So why do I say that? Because it's not about us. It's not about number one. You have to remember that. It's not about number one. Now, I'm reminded of a, of a song. We all know it. It's a good song. I like it. But it has one lyric in it that's just a little off. Um, you, I, I don't even know the song name. I think it's what a, well, I won't even say it. But either way, the lyric says this. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus brought heaven down. Right? We live in such a, a, a self-centered society that that has oftentimes infiltrated the church. Right? 
And so you see that in the form of worship and lyrics. You see that in the form of sometimes people preaching from the pulpit and they're preaching a message that's not really there, so to speak. But you see that in this lyric and it says, you didn't want heaven without us. Now, I wouldn't normally have a problem with that verse, right? If it had said, you know, you didn't want us to miss out on heaven. But it's another thing to say you didn't want heaven without us. As to say, you know what? Heaven's not good enough unless you're there. A self-centered way of looking at things. Be careful how you worship. Always look at the lyrics you're saying. Why, does, why is that important? I'm reminded of a guy. His name is Mike Reeves. He's a, he's a professor of theology. And he said this. And it was, it's a great quote. If you, if you can grasp it, it's a great quote. He says, beware of both undevotional theology and untheological devotion. And in short, this is what he's saying. Theology without prayer or connection to God is a problem. And the opposite of that is, is connection and prayer to God while being unbiblical is a problem. You can't go to God with unbiblical things and think that that's okay. Right? It doesn't matter how good intentioned you are. I love that quote that he says. Now, I say that. But understand this, God does love you. God does care about you. You are important. After all, he did see, send his son to die for you. You are an important person. We all are. We bear the image of God. Okay? I just don't want us to get it twisted as though we are the center of the universe. That's not the case. Okay? So, with that, God's will is that he gets glory. We just read through a ton of scripture. God's will is that he gets glory. And he gets that by what? And that leads me to my second point, by accomplishing his works. Let's read John 17, 4. He says this. I glorify, this is Jesus talking, and he's praying to God. Okay? This is Jesus talking. Remember that. And he's praying to God. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. I glorified God. This is Jesus saying, I brought glory to you. I glorified you by what? Accomplishing works you gave me to do. So there were tasks given and they were completed, right? And at this point he hadn't completed it, but he knew he was going to go to the cross, right? He knew that. So we give, when we talk about God's will, we give God glory. We were made for his glory. We give God glory through accomplishing his works. Okay, so we were given a task. The crowds, when they were pushing up against Jesus, he asks, I don't know if I gave you this, John 6, 26. Okay, so at this point, John, the, the crowds are pushing up against Jesus, and Jesus answers, Verily, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had had your will. We're going to go to 20, yeah, 29. Had your, had your fill. Let's go on. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. So they asked him, they asked him, what is, I think we missed, maybe I missed one. But they asked him a question. There, there we go. Then they asked him, what must we do, what must we do to do the works of God requires? What must we do? They're asking him. Then Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So that's our task. That's our first task, is to believe, right? 
Now, all of us in here are going to say we believe, right? And I believe you believe. But do you know what the smelling test is with that? What is, what is true faith, right? True faith has what? Works, right? True faith has works. So when we talk about believing, he says, you have to believe in me. So the first task is, is to examine ourselves. And not only that, but we, we look within and we say, okay, do I believe? Do I believe in Jesus Christ? And the Bible's clear. He says, you know what? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose, uh, he, he died and rose again, then you're saved, right? That's a part of it. But don't think that you can come up to the altar and just say a quick prayer and then that makes you saved. That doesn't make you saved. Because the believing part is what makes you saved. And if you're saved, if that's the case and you did that and you really are saved, you then will have a result from that. And that result is your works. Right? So there's your litmus test. That's how you know you're saved. Okay, am I saved? Okay, well, I believe in Jesus. I have him in my heart. I seek him. I, I obey him. I do all of the things that he's commanded me to do that, that I can, that's within my strength, that he empowers me to do. Well, then that means I'm saved. Simple as that. Okay? So that's our first task, believing in Jesus. Your first task. The second task, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says this, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You've heard me talk about that before. That is the second task. Now I'm I'm naming them one, two, three, four. There's no one, two, three, four. I'm just for illustration purposes. That is a task for you. Ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means I take the gospel and I give it to somebody else. And I take the gospel and I give it to somebody else. And I take the gospel and I give it to somebody else. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm reaching out to people, trying to connect them to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what I'm trying to do, right? I'm trying to connect them to Christ so that they can get saved. That's our task. You want to glorify God? Ministry of reconciliation. That is God's will. Now, Mind you this, there will be no excuse when you go before God as to why you didn't accomplish that task. There's no excuse. Can you imagine going before a holy God and saying, I didn't want to hurt people. When I preached the gospel, I just didn't want to offend them. Going to God saying, I didn't want to lose their friendship. That will happen. I, can, I, can, I have been in situations where I've had to have hard conversations with people and point blank show them and tell them I believe they're on the wrong path. And that's a difficult one. Why? Because you care for them. You don't want that relationship broken. You don't want them hurt in any way like that. But you know what? We got to do it. Because I can't go before God saying, you know what? I didn't want to lose that friendship. The Bible says this in James 4, 4. Whoever makes friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Imagine going to God saying, I just didn't think it was the right time. Well, when is it the right time? Romans 13, 11 says this, you know, the time, the hour has come for us to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now's the time. Imagine going to God saying, I didn't think they would listen or care. These are things that people actually say. I'm sure you've heard some of these things. 
Hey, why didn't you talk to them? These are the things that people justify as to why they didn't share the gospel with them. I didn't think they would care. I got news for you. That ain't your choice. Right? It matters none what you think when it comes to that. What does the Bible say? You say, well, that's a little arrogant, man. That's a little arrogant. Well, let's, the first Corinthians 3, 7 says this, one plants, one waters, but what does God do? He's the one that brings the increase. He's the one. Now, that may miss somebody's theology up, but read your Bible. Right? So it's not a matter of I didn't think that they would hear me or that they would care. It doesn't matter. Here's another one. I didn't want them to think I was weird. <laughs> right? Because there will be some conversations where you're going to get into and some things you may not know and so on and so forth. And you may sound a little weird. <laughs> It is foolishness to them that are perishing, is what the Bible says, right? <laughs> I didn't want them to think I was weird. Oh, I got news for you. You're going to have to take a stance at some point. If you don't, you're openly being ashamed of Christ. And that's not a good thing, because what does Christ say he's going to do at the end? He'll be ashamed of you, right? So when we talk about ministry, when we talk about Ministry of reconciliation, that's something we should be doing. We should be doing that. That is God's will. 2 Corinthians 5.11, let's read that real quick. The Bible says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. I want to read that again. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. We should have that same attitude. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore making disciples of all nations, right? So when we talk about God's will, we were made for his glory. And if we want to glorify him, we should be accomplishing the task he's given us. We should be believing in him and reaching others, right? That brings God, God glory. And not only that, but that's accomplishing his will. My last point is this. Everything has to go through the cross. Everything. Let's turn to James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say What? If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast in your, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Jesus says, tomorrow has its own troubles, right? Now, what's the point of this scripture? Is the point of that scripture to not plan for tomorrow? That's not the point of the scripture, right? If we read it again, let's read it again. Let's go back to the part where he says, um, I think it's verse 17. If the Lord wills, that's the point. It's not that we don't plan. We can still say we're going to go do this. The point is, is we say, if the Lord wills, that's what we should do. Now, is it as simple as saying just that saying, just that phrase? So basically, I can do what I want as long as I put that phrase before it, right? <laughs> it's that easy, right? It's almost like a prayer of salvation. If you just say it, that's that. <laughs> that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that at all. It's deeper than that. 
I say everything goes through the cross. Everything is filtered through the cross. Everything you should do, you should be seeking God's will. Now, why do I say filter through the cross when we, when we read this scripture? And I say, why? Why filter through the cross? Well, Jesus showed us that, right? On, this, on his way to the cross, right, he's, he's about to be betrayed. And he says, he's praying what? He's praying, Lord God, if this cup be uh, not true, if, if, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But nevertheless, your will be done, right? He's on the way to the cross and he's saying, your will, your will, your will. He shows us the example. He also says in Luke 9 23, he says this, anyone who comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself and then do what? Take up your cross. Everything has to go through the cross. Paul got it. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live, right? It's not about me, is what Paul's saying, right? Goes back to our first point. It's not about me. I no longer live. What is he saying there? He's saying everything I do, see, and say are filtered through Christ. Everything. I died to myself and I say, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And that's important. We don't often do that. I don't often see Christians do that a lot. Right? When you make a decision, well, I'll say this in Romans 12, 1, Paul also writes, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Another example. A living sacrifice. How many of us live sacrificially? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Whatever you do. How many of us deny ourselves? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is we all should be raising our hand. We all should. Including myself. Everyone else should be. Right? You live a crucified life. You deny yourself. You live a living sacrifice. The point behind that is it's not about number one. Right? It's not about number one. When you make a decision, you should be asking God what he thinks. His decision. Right? What he thinks is more important than anything else. When you do a good deed, it should go through the cross. Let me clarify something because a lot of the times people think, when we say good deeds, anybody can do a good deed. Anybody can. A worldly person can do a good deed, right? They say it all the time. Well, you know what? If, if, if I just live a good life um, or, you know what, I, I helped this person over here. Um, he needed something loaded in his truck. That's a good deed. I love my wife. That's good, right? Their good deeds look like our good deeds, right? So it's not just about living a moralistic life. When we say take your deeds through the cross, your good deeds through the cross, there's a difference. Their good deeds almost always, if you talk to them, almost always, now I'm speaking of unbelievers, right? Almost always they will tell you when you get to talking to them about their life and where they think they're headed in the, in the afterlife, they will almost always tell you, well, I just believe that, you know, I lived a good life. You know, God's going to see that. Their good deeds amounts to them trying to get into heaven through their works. They just don't know that's the case. That's what their good deeds are doing. Your good deeds are completely different, right? Though the same action, your deeds come as a result of your faith. 
right? I'm not doing it to enter heaven. I'm doing it because my faith produces a work. It produces a good deed. Not only that, but I want to do those things. The inside of me has changed. I'm no longer the same person. I now desire what God desired, right? We were made in the image of God. When Adam fell, that image was almost distorted, so to speak. I'm speaking, speaking metaphorically. But when we accepted Christ, and the more we learn about Christ, the more we become that state, what we used to be, that communion with God. We now start to think like him. We now start to act like him. We now start to say the things like him, right? So our good deeds are different. Remember that. Even though you be, you're doing the same thing they do, we're not living just a moralistic life. Ours are a result of faith. So remember that. Because anybody can say, well, I did a good deed. Well, that doesn't matter. Depends on where it's coming from. Okay. Understand that your good deeds flow through the cross and theirs do not. And that's a problem. When talking to your spouse, make sure you, f you take that through the cross, right? Husbands, love your wife as yourself. Wife, respect your husband. Take it through the cross. When raising your kids, Ephesians 6, 4, don't provoke your children to anger but the, by the way you treat them, but rather training them and instructing them in the Lord. Take it through the cross. Whether in public or private, take it through the cross. Every action, everything you do, take it through the cross. Now, let me say this, and I'm just about done. <laughs> Not everything you do is going to be God's will in your life. Okay, that's, that's a big thing. Because I was talking to my wife. It seems like everybody I talk to, it's like everything they want to do, it just happens to be God's will. <laughs> you think about that? I got news for you. There'll be some things you don't like in your life that are God's will. And it's good for you. Think about the trials that we go through. Now, some trials are a result of our bad decisions. But some trials, look in your Bible. You'll be surprised what you read. You might find some of the trials you're in is because that's what God needs you to go through. Right? We can find Joseph an example. Well, I hear this all the time. I hear Christians justifying this and saying, oh, that was different. God just turned it around when Joseph went through all that he, he had to go through. Right? They sold him. He went through slavery. He did all that all to become a person in Egypt where he could take care of a promise God had made years before. Right? And the Bible says, what, this is Joseph talking. He says, what you meant, and he's talking to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, I hear Christians all the time justifying that and saying, well, that just means, you know, God just turned it around. Look at the Hebrew in that. Meant and meant are the same word in Hebrew. It was the same thing. Joseph had to go through those things. Why? Because God was fulfilling a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He had to go through those things to get to where he was at. You can find examples throughout Scripture like that. But, man, we can sure take them and make them say something that they don't say. But that's the truth. There are some things in your life that are good for you. Think about this. Just, just philosophically thinking. If something were to happen to you that wasn't good, but it amounted to you getting into everlasting life, would that be a good thing for you? There you go, right? 
we often get into this thing of, no, 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 no. It just can't be that way. No. Understand that there are things in your life that are God's will. Now, I'm not going to get into the implications of what they are and what they aren't. I don't know that. I'm not God. Okay. I don't even know which things are in your life that are God's will or not. That's for you to find out. But the truth of the matter is, is not everything should be God's will in your life in the sense of everything you want to do is just God's will. Well, that doesn't work that way. God's not your puppet, right? He's certainly not your genie. I heard a worshiper say that. He's like my genie. It appalled me when I heard that. It was a well-known worshiper. If I told you, you'd be like, yeah, weird. So having said that, remember this. Let's turn to James 4.16. Remember, we have a task to complete, and everything else should be going through the cross. He says, as it is, this is James talking, he says, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. He says this scripture right after saying, you should be saying, if the Lord wills. So in other words, if you're not asking God, if you're not seeking God in that way, it's arrogance. It's called pride. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're not going to accomplish anything like that. In summation, I'll say this. To sum it all up, to know God's will, we must first understand it's about his glory. To glorify him, we do this, we glorify him, we accomplish his will by accomplishing his works through believing in Christ and through the ministry of reconciliation. And lastly, filtering everything through the cross. Okay? So with that in mind, I leave you with this one scripture, Ephesians 2.10. It says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. All right. So with that in mind, let's stand up and let's get into prayer.